We just thank you for this evening. We thank you for how much you love us and care for us. We thank you for your word. I ask you to guide and show us what you would want us to see in your, in your word. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. Zechariah chapter 8, we're going to be starting at verse 16. These are the things that you shall do. Speak every man the truth to his neighbor. Execute the judgment of, of truth and peace in your gates. And let none of you imagine evil in your hearts against your neighbor. And love no false oath and all these things that I hate, says the Lord. The word of the Lord of hosts came unto me, saying, Thus saith the Lord of the hosts, The fast of the, of the fourth month, the fast of the fifth month, the fast of the seventh month, and the fast of the tenth, shall be to the house of Judah joy and gladness and cheerful feast thereof, love the truth and peace. Thus saith the Lord of hosts, I shall yet come to, it, shall, it shall yet come to pass that there shall come people and the inhabitants of many nation, of many cities, and the inhabitants of one city shall go to another, saying, Let us go speedily to pray before the Lord and to seek the Lord of hosts. I will go also. Yea, many people and strong nations shall come and seek the Lord of hosts in Jerusalem and go and to pray before the Lord. Thus saith the Lord of hosts, In those days shall it come to pass that ten men shall take hold, take, take hold out of all languages of the nations, even shall take hold of the skirt of him that is a Jew, saying, We will go with you, for we have heard that God is with you. All right. We're going to look at the, these uh, very quick succession of prof, uh, prophecies. In verse 16, it says, Speak to every man the truth to his neighbor. Execute judgment of truth and peace in your gates. Let none imagine evil in your hearts against your neighbor. Love no false oath for, these, for all these sayings. Are, all these are things that, the, that I hate, says the Lord. So this is something that God wants people to speak the truth. You know, and I've been really thinking a lot about that as I'm watching what's going on in our, in our world right now. Uh, truth, truth is a commodity that is not held very tightly anymore. From both sides. I'm not even saying one side or the other. From both sides, truth is not held very firmly anymore. And, you know, we need to be people that are truthful and that people can trust. Uh, it used to be, you know, back in the 1800s, maybe early 1900s, your, your word was your bond. If you said you were going to do something, that was enough. You didn't need a contract. You didn't need, you didn't need uh, anything written down. Somebody said they were going to do it. You counted on it getting done. And that's basically what God is saying here. You know, be people of integrity. You know, if you say you're going to do something, do it. If you're not going to do it, don't say you're going to do it. Uh, and this is very important. He says, speak truth, execute judgment of truth and peace in your gates. Give true judgments. And this is something that is very interesting, even in our courts in America. There's a lot of question is, does judgment and truth get spoken in the courts? And I know that, that's, that it doesn't in most cases. I was, I was going to be represented by a lawyer for... For, for a traffic ticket, and the lawyer told me not to come because he didn't want me to speak. Because he knew that I would tell the truth. And I was guilty. What he said by not being there, I have no idea, but I didn't, I didn't have to pay anything. So I don't know what happened when he went to the court, but he told me not to come. <laughs> uh, because he knew that I, you know, because he told me this is what you say, I go, I can't do that, I have to tell the truth. So he says, don't come. Uh, but, you know, this is, our courts are built around this system of not speaking truth. 
or speaking as little truth as you can get away with. And he wanted me to just give as little bit of the truth, and I'm going, God says I have to speak truth. I'm going to swear to tell the truth, the whole truth, nothing but the truth, so I have to be able to speak the truth. And in our day and age, truth has been a casualty out there. People manipulate information, they twist the information, uh, give you half the story and not the whole story, and then wonder why nobody believes anybody. You know, we don't believe our government, we don't believe the newspapers, we don't believe most of the people that talk to us anymore because truth has been slain in the street for all practical purposes. And the one thing about it is anything that's not the whole truth is a lie. We're, we're omitting facts, we're lying. Satan is the master of lies and every one of his lies, the best lies have elements of truth in them so that people can believe some things and prove some things but the rest of it is not true. And here God's saying, speak truth and keep your truth in there. And then he, if that wasn't enough, he says, don't and let none of you imagine evil or plan evil. And again, this is a thing that in our day and age, we have people who literally plan evil. Uh, and most everybody out there plans evil. Uh, all of our spontaneous riots in the in the, in the last year, both sides, left and right, our spontaneous riots have been planned riots. When you look at the people and the gear that they have on and how they're dressed, and they just happen to find uh, piles of rocks wherever they're at. They just happen to find weapons wherever they're at. Uh, you know, uh, and you know, right here in Kingman, they had a big, big march, and the police found their piles of stones before they had a chance to use them. So our police actually did did their job and stopped a riot from happening before it happened because they de-armed them uh, by taking their, taking their weapons. And, and people imagine what evil they can do. How can I hurt this person? How can I cause, how can I pause problems <laughs> uh, for these people? And he says, and love no false oath. Don't love evil speaking. And again, uh, truth has become a casualty in our in our generation, and it was back in their day. I mean, it's it's just like we say over and over. There, there is no new thing under the sun. All of these things, everything we're experiencing today, has happened in the past, many many times. They, they say that history does not repeat itself, and I disagree with them completely. The exact facts don't repeat themselves, but the events over and over again keep repeating themselves. If you know history, you will know what's going to happen in many cases. And so we look at this and say, God is saying, and he says, why not do these things? He says, I hate them. God says, I hate lying. I hate thinking, you know, and planning evil on, on, your, on your neighbor. And we see this, and we've talked about this at times. All the things that God says not to do, isn't just him standing there capriciously thinking, oh, well, should this be good or bad? You know, uh, and I like it in the Truth Project that Del Tackett said, God wasn't up in a coin, uh, up in the sky flipping a coin. Is, is stealing good or bad? You know, uh, is, is murder good or bad? You know, is, is lying good or bad? He wasn't up there capriciously deciding what these laws were. These rules come out of his character, who he is. And that's why they have power because they are based on who he is and what he believes and how he acts. And he says, I hate these things. 
They go against, my, against his personality, against who he is. And he says, if you're doing this, you're not doing what I want. And yet sometimes we have a hard time picturing God as a God of hate. But he is. He has righteous requirements that demand punishment, that demand activities. And there is a hatred toward it. Now, it's a righteous hatred. It's not an evil hatred like most of our hatred is. Uh, you know, most of the time when we do something in anger, we cross the line from, from uh, righteousness into sin. All right? There is such a thing as righteous anger. If I get angry that something is happening to somebody and I take action to stop that, it can be righteous anger and be within, the, within bounds. Jesus went into the temple, made a whip, and drove the money changers out twice because they were making his father's house a den of thieves. And he drove them out, and I'm sure that he wasn't saying, okay, please get out of here before I use this whip. That whip was being used. <laughs> and if they didn't move fast enough, it was catching them. You know, he was angry because they were defiling the temple. There is a place where even violence can be righteous. The only problem is when do most of us get angry? Is when, when you hurt my feelings. <laughs> you made me feel bad. At that point, it is very hard to keep righteous anger. And this is something that I, I will tell people. If I'm angry that something was done to me, I better, not, I better put it into God's hands because it's not worth anything and it's going to be. Now, if you're angry that somebody else has been harmed, you might be able to stay within righteous anger. But you still have to be careful because your anger can still swell up and take more of you than you want. And I have the same thing when, when I think that God is talking to me. If it's something I don't want to hear, I pay a lot closer attention to it than if it's something I think he's saying that I want to hear. Because I'm so worried that myself has gotten involved in it. You know, I really want this to happen. You know, God, I think you're saying it. Okay. You know, uh, I'm very, very hard to say that if I want something to be true, that it came from God. Now, if God is telling me to do something and it's something I don't want to do, and yet I know it's good. Now, I'm not talking about doing something wrong. I know that it's good. I know that it's righteous. I know it's something that God would want done, but I don't want to do it. I'm going to say, okay, God, uh, I think you're talking to me. Uh, and so this is something we've got to be careful of. How do we listen to God? How do we follow through with him? And he's saying that we're to be kind. Even in this one, be kind to your neighbors. Don't look for ways to hurt them. Don't look for ways to get revenge. You know, God says, vengeance is mine, I will repay. Now, if we want to try to revenge ourselves, God will step back out of the way and let us try to avenge ourselves. Now, in my case, I know that I have always messed things up when I try to avenge myself. I have found over the years that it's much better letting God take care of my problems. Not that I always do it that way, but I've learned more and more to let him take care of my problems, let, to, let him take care of the people that are, that are trying to make my life miserable. He does, he does a good job of protecting me. Unfortunately, sometimes I think he's more harmful than I would have been in the first place, but he knows what needs to be done. And, you know, we need to be able to step back and just let God take care of things. And, you know, it is very true that he will take care of us. We don't have to worry about anything because he's taking care of it. 
And I, my stepmom used to say, she read a book and the guy said, you know, don't worry about things, God will provide a worrier for you. And you know what, I've seen that happen. There's people that worry about me a lot more than I worry about myself on things. And usually I try to say, well, just relax. It's not that big a deal. You know, it's in God's hands. And you know, as long as we let God be God, we'll be okay. You know, there's an old joke, and I've said it before, that people say about seminary, they learn two things about seminary in seminary. There's one God, and I'm not him. You know, and that's really something we all have to learn. There is one God, and we are not him. We need to let God be our defense, our, our keeper, our supplier, and quit trying to do it ourselves. Because usually when we try to do everything on our own without him, we mess everything up in a big way. Uh, you know, I've got I to take care of myself, so I start working five jobs and end up in the hospital because I, I, I uh, get pneumonia because I've overexerted myself and not slept. You know, but I was taking care of myself. And God says, well, now you get to rest for a while. And you get all the bills from having been in the hospital to add to the bills and stuff that you were trying to take care of in the first place. You know, we need to be careful and let God be God and let him be our provider. He is Jehovah Jireh, as Abraham said, God, our provider. He wants to meet our needs. He wants to care for us. And he's, he's ready to. Are you wanting to know how that's spelled? Or? <laughs> Continuing on in verse 18, And the word of the Lord of hosts came unto me, saying, Thus saith the Lord of hosts, The fast of the fourth month, the fast of the fifth month, the fast of the seventh month, the fast of the tenth month, shall be to the house of Judah joy and gladness and a cheerful feast. Therefore, love the truth and peace. Now, I'm sure every one of us know what the fast of the, fast of the fourth, fifth, seventh, and tenth month is, right? Yeah. Neither did I. These are not the Jewish feasts. Oh. All right? That was my first thought, where they fall on the Jewish feast days. Uh, these are fasts that they had during the captivity in Babylon. And in the fourth month, they were, and these were not feasts, actually. They were fasts. They were solemn events. In the fourth month was the month that Jerusalem was captured. Uh, in the fifth month was when the temple was burnt to the ground. <laughs> in the seventh month was when Gadriel was killed by the, by the, Jew, by the, by the, by the leaders. Gadriel, he was one of the officials. Uh, and in the tenth month was when Babylon besieged Jerusalem. So actually the tenth month is the first event, and then the fourth, fifth, and seventh, but they just listed straight down the, uh, down the months, uh, was when Babylon uh, besieged Jerusalem and circled it before they conquered it in these other months. So God is saying these feasts commemorating bad events in your history are going to become joyful feasts. These fasts are going to become joyful feasts. And you know, only God could do that, but he's going to show them, basically he's going to show them that they, these were punishments from him that they were deserved and that he rebuilt his cities and all of that stuff, you know, this is most likely how they're going to come about, and God's going to say it will be a joyful time. Uh, and so we see this process going, God says, I'm not going to eliminate your fast. You, you've been fasting, you've done these things, I'm not going to eliminate, but I'm going to change the reason that you're doing this. You're going to start feasting and enjoying yourselves on these days. That would almost be like taking, uh, for Americans, uh, Pearl Harbor Day and saying, we're going to celebrate and have great big feasts and we're going to be happy. Now, now, most people totally ignore Pearl Harbor Day, you know, but 
Can you imagine if we're saying, okay, now listen, we're going to have, we're going to be rejoicing on this day. That's basically what God is telling them here. These days when Jerusalem was conquered, taken, and destroyed, we're going we're gonna to celebrate and have a, you know, enjoy those days and have a great big feast, and, and you're going to enjoy them. And he says you're going to love the truth and peace, you know, or therefore love truth and peace. And again, this is his theme in these last couple, chat, these last couple verses. Love, truth, and peace. God expects veracity and integrity from his people and he expects peace. You know, we, as things get rough in our, in our world, need to bring truth and peace into, each in, into the environment. There is chaos going on, and I talk to so many people that you know, are so panicked about the future. You know, and there, you know, from the world's point of view, there's lots to panic about. We have the left going crazy, we have the far right going crazy, and in between are people that are caught in the middle. And there's all kinds of activities going on to drive a wedge into, into, in, into things right now to make things worse. And, I always, and I've been wondering, you know, are these people realizing what they're doing? Or do they realize that they're pushing people to be radical with what they're doing? And I don't know the answer to that. I hope they're not stupid enough to do that. You know, they talk that they want reconciliation and they're driving a wedge right through the middle of any chance at re reconciliation. And it's not just one side, it's both sides. We watch the whole summer of the, of the people burning cities down, then we see the, the stupidity of the far right, you know, conquering, you know, breaking into the capital, and they're talking about having you know, problems during the inauguration in all the city capitals of the, of the states. There's all kinds of problems. We as Christians need to, number one, make sure that everybody understands God is still in control. And we as Christians have to know God is still in control. Even if our country falls apart, God is still in control because he's bigger in our country. He was here before our country started. He will be here after our country ceases to exist. He will always be there. He really doesn't care about America. You know, and I, I know Americans don't like to hear that, but God doesn't care that much about America. His people is Israel. That's the nation he has promised to keep. Now, he does love us because we have Christians here and that type, but he doesn't really care whether America is in existence uh, tomorrow, next year, 100 years from now, it doesn't matter to him. You know, and we need to keep that in mind. Most of the countries of the world that are powerful right now did not exist when the Bible was written as countries. The land existed, the you know, nation, you know, places existed, but the United States did not exist. Great Britain did not exist as Great Britain. Germany did not, and France. Now, none of those countries existed as what they are now. And if time goes on long enough, they won't exist later on as they are now because God says Israel is his people Israel are the ones that he's going to keep so these feasts were going to be turned into gladness feasts and then it says thus saith the Lord of hosts in verse 20 it shall come to pass that there will become a people and the inhabitants of many cities and the inhabitants of one city will go to another saying let us go speedily to pray before the Lord and to seek the Lord of hosts I will go also now, this has not happened anywhere in, <laughs> in the recent years, uh, in, in any time period, period. But this is talking about the Millennial Kingdom, where the entire world will be headed to Jerusalem to worship. Why? Because Jesus will have his throne in Jerusalem. He will be sitting enthroned in Jerusalem for a thousand years, and the whole world, it tells us in many places, are going to come to Jerusalem to worship. 
And, and, and I, I love this. They'll go together saying, hey, let's, let's go. I'll go with you. If you want to go, I'll go with you. We're, we're, we're going to head over to Jerusalem to worship. And I, you know, so this is something that's very interesting. It says, behold, many people in strong nations shall come and seek the Lord of hosts in Jerusalem and shall pray before the Lord. Again, the whole world. And then in verse 23, it says, Thus saith the Lord, in those days it shall come to pass that ten men shall, shall hold, take hold out of all languages and nations, and shall they even take hold of the skirts of him that is a Jew, saying, We will go with you, for we have heard that God is with you. This has never happened. <laughs> you know, nobody has, at, at, in, in history has gone to the Jews and say, We want to go worship with you, because you know God. But during the Millennial Kingdom, when God is ruling in Jerusalem, and his people are the center of everything, and that's be the Jewish people, it says that they will seek out the Jews because they are special to God. Question? Would that be above the 144,000 or above? Above. This is during the Millennial Kingdom. During the Millennial Kingdom, mostly will be Jews that have rejected the mark of the beast. But there will be people in every nation, apparently, from what these things that will have rejected the mark of the beast and made it through the, made it through the tribulation period alive, and they will be the ones seeking out the Jews because the Jews are God's people. So the 144,000 is during the tribulation period. They will they will be preaching during the tribulation period and leading people to Christ. And salvation, they will probably be the bulk of what's left at, at the beginning of the millennial kingdom, but they will also have led. They will have led more people with them because they're going to be evangelists. All right, so their, their job is to preach the gospel. Uh, and people will tell you that nobody gets saved during the millennial kingdom. That is not true. The whole purpose of the, uh, not the millennial kingdom, but the tribulation, the whole purpose of the tribulation period is to, for God to say, I am God, and draw people to him, even though most of the people are going to say no and reject him. And we know that two-thirds of the population die during that period of time, according to Revelation. There will still be people that are coming to Christ and not taking the mark of the beast and paying. Most of them will pay with their life. And then Jesus will come and the Jews will be the bulk of the people that he has protected and, and isolated away from himself. And they will make up the, the, the largest portion of the millennial kingdom. But there will, when we read verses like that, there will be people in other places that's just for whatever reason say, I'm, we're, not, we're not falling for this. Maybe they know a little bit about the gospel. Maybe they know a little bit about the Bible. We don't know why or how. But you've got to understand, during the tribulation period, to not take the mark of the beast means that you're going to die mostly and you're going to be very hungry because you can't buy and sell you can't do anything. And we're seeing the, the beginning formations of these type of things. There's a lot of talk going out that will say that if you don't, can't prove that you've taken a COVID immunization, that you won't be able to go to the stores or go to work or go, go anywhere. I don't believe that that's the mark of the beast, but it's definitely a forerunner of the mark of the beast. Okay, To be able to have to prove that I have done something to be able to purchase something is... Now, they tell me that that has to be also in a hand or the forehead that I'm going to say we've got the mark of the beast. Okay. But until that portion comes, I'm not ready to say that this is the, for, the mark of the beast, but it is dangerously close to that event. 
Uh, and it, I do believe it's going to be a forerunner. It's going to be a practice run on how, how can we control people? How can we make them do what we want to do? And I know there's lots of pastors out there. I've listened to them on the radio. They're saying, well, that's the mark of the beast. And all this. And they go, no, it's not. Just having a piece of paper that says that I had a shot is not the mark of the beast. Uh, that takes us back. This, it actually takes us more back to the Nazi days when they would say, papers, please. And you had to show your, who you were to any, any army officer, especially Gestapo or brown shirt, that asked for it. You know, it's more of that nature. Uh, and these have happened in many nations and many dictatorships all over the world. And all we're doing is forming a dictatorship at this point. I could be wrong. They may decide that this has to be imprinted in the back of our hand, you know, our hand or our forehead. And, and at that time, I'll revise my statement and say it's the mark of the beast. Until that happens, it's a forerunner and a practice run for the mark of the beast. But here it says that the people will come to the Jews and say, take us with you. You know God. I want to, I want to know him. Take us with you. Now, I wish people would do that for us as Christians. You know, I just want, I, I need you to take me to God. Please help me out. Uh, I haven't had many people ask that hard for, for, for that. Now, I've had people ask questions and then come to Christ through the, through the witness, but never had anybody begging, take us with you. And here it says 10 to 1. You know, 10 people from all different nations will go and grab hold of a Jew and say, take us with you. Now, this might have multiple parts because... You know, the temple has always been a place where the Jews, you know, went and the Gentiles did not. I don't believe that will be true in, in the millennial kingdom, but it could still be, you know God. You know, and do you realize that we as Christians, if you really truly know God, even if you know him just a little bit, you know him, more than, you know him better than, mo than most people out there, share what you know about God. Help people out. Because... You're, you get trained, and no matter how little you're trained, you know more than the people that aren't trained. And you know, I, it's an amazing thing to me when I, when I talk to people and how little people in our day and age know about the Bible. You know, there are people who don't know what the first book of the Bible is. There are people that don't know who David and Goliath are. And that reference is all over the place, and there are people that don't know what that story refers to. There are people out there that don't know who Jonah is. There are people out there that really don't know who Jesus is. They just know he's a curse word. You know, they don't realize that Christmas is all about him. They don't realize that Easter is all about him. This is how far our country has dropped away from Christian truth and, and position. That there are people out there that know absolutely nothing. And why do I pick those ones? Because those are some of the greatest stories of the Bible that everybody used to know. You know, they might not know Balaam and his donkey talking to him. They might not know about the axe head that floated. They might not know about even Gideon in the three, you know, 300. You know, they might not know any of those stories, but at least they knew <laughs> certain stories of the Bible. And in our day and age, people don't know anything about the Bible. And that is a very sad thing. Used to be the most most uh, well-known verse in the Bible, and now and now the most well-known Bible is Matthew seven one. Does everybody know what Matthew seven one says? That's about, um, We're Christians, so it's not our favorite verse. <laughs> it's about 
No, judge not lest you be judged. Now, they don't know the rest of the context of that verse, but that is the world's favorite verse of all the Bible verses. Anytime that we tell them something's a sin, judge not lest you be judged. And they forget that 7.2 says, by what manner you judge, you shall be judged. And that's where God says, if we're going to judge, we've got to judge by his word. And it's very true that we have to. Now, that doesn't mean I'm going to go around criticizing everybody because God says things are sin. But don't give me that verse telling me that I can't judge that something is a sin. God says it's a sin. And they're judging by, judging, by quoting that verse they're judging. <laughs> so, but, you know, this is the funny thing about our world in our day. They, they hold diametrically opposed views constantly, which is very hard to talk to the world anymore. They will tell you that there's absolutely no truth uh, or no absolute truth. And uh, you know, I used to love, I used to have so much fun in that with, with the college guys because I'm going, are you absolutely sure there's no absolute truth? You know, and for a moment, there would be this glitter of knowledge that they had just made an absolute truth statement that there was no absolute truth. <laughs> You know, but they would quickly walk away from it because it made no sense to them you know, that they had just made an absolute truth statement that there was no absolute truth. And our world wants to believe that there's no absolute truth. And they want to believe it absolutely. And so this is a problem for the world. Over and over again, they will say two diametrically opposed statements and and try to hold both of them in their mind at the same moment. The schizophrenia in our world is, cra is absolute craziness. And they get mad at us Christians because we hold on to God's truth. And they go, you guys are just old-fashioned. You've got to evolve like us. Well, you know what? I don't want to evolve into schizophrenic, uh, schizophrenic thinking, thank you. I want to know that there's truth and there's absolute truth. And until you prove to me that there is not absolute truth, which you cannot do, because anything that would have to prove it would have to make an absolute statement. And if there's no absolute proof, uh, absolute truth, then you can't make an absolute statement against truth. Now, it's illogical to believe what they believe. And yet they believe it. And this is why our world is getting so crazy. Before the days of... Um, the flood of Noah it said that people did what was right in their own eyes. And this is something that is happening in our day all the time. People are going, well, I think it's good, so therefore it's good. And I forget what the last number I heard. Uh, we now, the, the world wants to tell us that I think the last number I heard was 19 different genders. We're no longer just male and female. They've got 19 of them. Well, once you break, once you break away, there's, there's those that are male, are female, the ones that say they are, the ones that say they're, ones that are both, ones that are fluid. You know, they've got the fluid, fluid. Yeah, yeah. That actually is one of their, one of their genders. That's an expensive wardrobe. But this is the world that we're in now. Once you break from truth, you have no lines to draw. This is also what's happening in our world when the Supreme Court said that you cannot, you cannot make laws against homosexuality. Immediately, people started going to exactly where we knew that would happen. They wanted to get married to their dogs and their kids, and their, you know, uh, they wanted. If, and, if, and if marriage wasn't between a man and a woman, where do you draw the line? 
And that's exactly what happens. And this is what happens historically. Once homosexuality is accepted, then bestiality and every other form of perversion follows right behind it because if you break from God's standard, where do you draw the line? You can't. Because it's now whatever I think is right is okay. And this is the problem that we're facing in our generation. Well, you know what? I think this, this is true and I kind of feel like it's a good thing, so therefore this is true. And as soon as you break from truth, you've got a problem. Now, just because we don't believe truth does not mean truth goes away. God is still true. And what he says is true. And this is why when, when I talk to people, they go, well, you, you Christians, are you ever going to change? I go, not the true Christians. They go, what do you mean? I go, because we believe what the Bible says. Well, that's an old book full of contradictions. And then I get to go into the whole show me one contradiction and all that other stuff, you know, and, and work with them. But, you know, the world has this flexible truth. There is no absolute. So, therefore, they have trouble with us as Christians being followers of the Bible and saying that there is truth and we're not going to vacillate from it. We can't vacillate from it because we are followers of God who is true. And when he says something, he doesn't change his mind just because popular opinion goes against him. In the days of Noah, he did not change his standards just because everybody but Noah was, was not believing him. When he destroyed Nina, uh, uh, Sodom and Gomorrah, he did not change his mind to match them because of their disobedience. When the people that lived in the promised land got so bad, God did not say, well, you know what, they're just so bad, I've got to change my rules to accept them. He punished them. God's rules always have consequences, and his truth has consequences. And we need to be able to really grab hold of that. And the sad thing is that there are so many churches that say they're Christian churches that are abandoning God's word. Well, that's just old-fashioned. You know, this, this can't be true because, this can't be true because, this can't be true because. And when they start doing that, number one, I don't know how they can claim to be a Christian church, but they still are. They're not believing the Bible. Most of them don't believe in Jesus as a savior. savior. And Christian means Christ follower, so I don't know what they're basing their Christianity on. So... You know, it is a very interesting thing to watch what's going on, and it's sad to see what's happening even in the church. That many churches are abandoning God for the world's way of thinking. Uh, evolution has so infected the world's way of thinking, and it's infecting the church. Well, and then thinking will usually go, well, if evolution is true, which it's not, but they say if it's true and they believe it because they get hammered on it so much and they refuse to believe the Bible. And they go, if it's true, then everything else involves. The Bible was not right in the beginning, so therefore it, there must be other places it's not right in. And once you make any place, and this is why I said, if there is any word in the Bible that is not true, throw the book away and go live however you want because it's not worth, if I'm having to pick and choose what is valid in my book, then I'm God and not God. Because if I'm the authority on who, what is right and what is wrong, then God is not the authority. And I might as well just throw it away. I have studied it for close to 50 years, and I know that it's true. I know there's no con uh, contradictions in it. 
I know that when God speaks about science, it's true. I know enough about science to know that evolution is so full of so many holes it makes Swiss cheese look like it doesn't have any holes. And yet, evolution is taught in school as fact. And there's one way that, you, is, that should be understood by everybody. It's not the law of evolution and never will be because of all the holes in it. And science knows, scientists know that it has holes in it. And they know that they can never call it a law. It, but uh, it's taught as if it's a law. And the mainstream education system treats it as if it's a law of science. And you know, it's falling apart at its seams. As more and more scientific evolution, uh, ev evidence comes, evolution is falling farther and farther behind on what it can answer. And they have no other option other than to accept God. And you know, people will say, well, why don't the scientists accept, the, accept it? Because the, the only other answer is God. And once you accept that there is a God, then you have to believe that that God can make rules. If there is a creator, then the creator has the, rights to make, the right to make the rules that you do live by. And most people that want to deny God's existence want to live sinful life. They know that God has, a, has standards and they don't want to live by them. So it's easier to reject God than to say that those rules have authority. And it's all through the writings of atheists all over the place saying, you know, we can't accept this because if we did, then, then there would be a God that we were accountable to. They're very open to why they won't accept him. Uh, and we as Christians just kind of bow down to their attacks. God is God, and he's made promises. During the Millennial Kingdom, there's promises that are, J Jerusalem and the, and the Jewish people are going to be number one because they're God's people. God chose Jerusalem out of all the cities of, in the world to, to settle, and God has chosen Jerusalem and said, I will dwell in Jerusalem. And it's a city that David conquered from the Jebusites. He made it this, this capital of, of Israel, and it's been the capital of Israel ever since. And finally, our country recognized it, and once we did, many other countries recognized Jerusalem as the capital of Israel. And because it is. It didn't matter whether other countries accepted it or not. It was and is the capital of Israel and will be all the way through the millennial kingdom. And then in the new heaven and new earth, the spiritual Jerusalem will descend from heaven and be just a small city, 1,500 15, uh, uh, feet cubed. <laughs> just, just a small place. Uh, covers half of the United States, just a, just a small city, including 1,500 high. You know, it's just, just a small city where we'll have plenty of room to, to, to abide in. All the Christians and, and those who have ever lived will have a new Jerusalem to live in. Uh, and God will center there for eternity. You know, why God has chosen Jerusalem? I have no idea. All I know is that he did. And he's made it very clear that it's his city, that he's, he's have a special relationship with that city and will continue to have that relationship. And, you know, it's kind of an interesting thing to look at and say, God, what exactly, have, you know, what exactly do you? But, you know, we'll never fully understand God. Isaiah tells us that his thoughts are higher than our thoughts, his ways are higher, higher than our ways. We will never understand God because if we did, then we would be God. That was Satan's goal 
in Isaiah, he says, I will be like the Most High. I will ascend and I will sit on the throne of heaven. I will sit on the side. He never said he wanted to be greater than God. He wanted to be equal to and like God. And his temptation for us as human beings is to be like God. What was his temptation to Eve? God knows that the day you eat of the fruit, you, your eyes will be opened and you will be like, like God, knowing good and evil. The temptation that he gave to her was the same one that he fell for. You know, his temptation to Jesus on, on, the, on the mount was he showed him all the kingdoms of the world and says, if you will just bow down to me, I'll give you all of these. Jesus did not tell him they're not yours to give me because they were. Man gave the power of the world to Satan. You know, Satan's, that was probably the hardest temptation that would have ever come to him because Satan said, if, you do, if you'll just bow down to me, you don't have to go to the cross and buy everybody back. I will give them to you. That was a pretty hard temptation if he was, if he was going to fall for it. Now, bowing down to Satan would have meant that he was no longer God and, and given Satan what he wanted and all that other part. Jesus had to go to the cross to be able to save us and because he was God, he was going to the cross because he said he was going to. He said he was going to even before the creation of man. And we've talked about this. Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit got together and said, we're going to create man. They're going to follow Jesus. Will you die for him? He said yes. As soon as he said yes, he was the lamb slain. There are so many people that go, well, the Old Testament saints can't go to heaven because Jesus hadn't died until until the day that he died. No, he died the moment he said yes, before man was even created. Because the father said, you're, you and I are one, we're God, you said you're going to do it, therefore I know that you are going to do it. So as soon as he said yes, God had said yes, God never changes, never changes his mind, and doesn't, does not accomplish what he does, you know, will accomplish whatever he says that he's going to do. So when he says yes, I'll die for them, it was done. They didn't have to wait until he physically actually died on the cross because God lives outside of time and he already knew that as soon as he said yes, that even though, because he said yes when he, before time was been created and then when time was created, he stepped into time, was crucified and stepped out of time and back out of time to, to do, you know, saying I finished, what, I finished what I said I was going to do. And from God's perspective, it was no time at all because he has... He's outside of time as we know it. So he says, okay, you went down, you're done. This is why when we get saved, he says we are clothed in the righteousness of Christ. He declares us perfect and he treats us as if we are perfect because he's already with us when he's glorified us. Now, during time, we are being sanctified, being made more like him. But the father says, I'm, not, I'm, skipping, I'm skipping the whole part. You got saved, you're glorified. <laughs> because he's outside of time. He sees us already in the new Jerusalem with, the, with our glorified bodies. And it's a beautiful thing that he treats us that way. Because if he didn't see us that way, then he would have to punish everything that we did wrong harshly. And most of us do enough wrong things and bad things that that would be not a nice way to live. Uh, now, we do reap the consequence of our sin, but that's not God's punishment in most cases. That is just the law of sowing and reaping. We sow seed and we reap. We sow evil, we will reap evil. We sow good, we reap good. 
Now, God can supernaturally come in and harvest, the, harvest it, before it before it happens. But most of the time, he does not. When you do something wrong, you're going to have consequences. And we know that. We, just, we know it instinctively. Eventually, our behavior catches up with us. It may take, it may take years. It may take decades. The, the drunk who ends, up, ends his life 20, 30 years, 40 years later with cirrhosis of the liver and, and insides that have been eaten out by the alcohol. The person who smokes for, for decades and then ends up with emphysema at the end of their life and can't breathe or cancer or whatever, you know, whatever it is. There's all kinds of events that have long-term consequence, but there's consequences that will come. Sometimes they're very quick consequences. All right? Uh, you go rob a bank and you get stuck into prison real quick. Uh, sometimes it's just totally not obeying God and doing what you want, and it looks like you're getting away with it. You're, you're the one that everybody's looking at and saying, God, why don't you ever punish that person? They've got the mansion on the hilltop. They've got a dozen cars in there. They've got servants. You know, they've got fame. They've got fortune. God, they're, you know, they're, they're living it up. And it may appear that they are. But God says two things. Number one, the books aren't closed. And number two, they're not as happy as they appear to be in most cases. How many times do we pick up the newspaper or the gossip columnists and everything, we read about the fact that those people that we thought had everything all together are in a recovery center for alcohol or drugs because they were still looking for something. Their marriages fall apart because they're still not happy. You know, they're internally, even though they look to everybody else like everything is, they've got everything. They're not happy without God. And we would not be happy without God, no matter what we might think. And I've heard people go, well, you just give it to me. I, I, I sh I'm sure that I'd be the exception. I go, no, you won't be the exception. Nobody has been in all of history you would not be the exception. And even if you were, when you stand before God at the white throne judgment, you won't be an exception. You'll get your final day in court and you won't like the results. And this is the key. Uh, one of the examples I've talked about this, when we, about this, if somebody said, you know, if a farmer plows his field, buys his property, plows the field, plants the, plants the grain and fertilizes it, and then he tries to to close his books and say, wow, I've done nothing but lost. You know, he closes his books before the harvest. He looks like a loser. Hopefully, after harvest, <laughs> he gets the money, he gets income in it, and hopefully he's made enough to pay for the plowing time and, the, and, the, and all the fertilizer and the, make payments on the land and the equipment and have a little bit left over. God's books are not closed until the white throne judgment convenes. And then, once they have been judged and sent to hell, the books are closed. He doesn't close them before then. And it may look like somebody's getting away with their things. It may look like they're all happy and, they're, and they are at the top of the world. But even if they are, they won't be when they stand before God at the white throne judgment. There is a final consequence. Now, we as Christians may not feel like we're on the top of the world or anything, but you know what? Our final consequence is even better. We get our suite of rooms in heaven that God has decorated for us. And we get to have eternal life. And when we're up there for a quadrillion years, 
and we've enjoying heaven and we go back and we think back well yeah way back when <laughs> there was a time when things didn't seem to be going so well <laughs> if we even remember it at all but you understand what i'm saying we get we get out there far enough it's like yeah that that's that glimmer of light back there that i that i lived you know the the 300 years that i lived the thousand years that i lived you know getting enough perspective it's going to be it was nothing and even then we'll realize how much god blessed us even in this life you know, how many times do we not recognize the blessings of God because we start paying so much attention to all the bad things that are happening to us? And all we do is pay attention to the bad. Have you ever done that and gotten miserable by paying attention to all the bad things that are happening? And it just makes you more miserable and you think of more bad things that have happened and you start thinking that God has never done anything good for me at all. And we're not talking about positive thinking or negative thinking. It's just the way we react. But if we really do look at the blessings that God has given us, we will start recognizing that God cares for us. And then we'll start seeing other blessings that he's done and more blessings. You know, the song, Count Your Blessings, name them one by one, and it will surprise you what the Lord has done. It's not a positive thinking thing, but it is really that idea of, I want to know, God, what have you done? Help me count the things that you've done for me and pay attention to that because there are blessings. Every one of us has blessings. Even the lost world have blessings that they can look on. God says it rains on the just and on the unjust. The sun shines on the just and the unjust. You know, they both have good things that happen to us and we both have bad things that happen to us. The only thing for us as Christians is if we know that we're following God, we know that God has a good plan for us. For all things work together for good for those who are called according to God and I love God and are called according to his purpose. We know God has a plan. Ultimately, my plan is this is not my home. No matter how bad this world gets, this is not my home. Paul was able to say that I've learned to be content. Why? Because this is not home. He goes, these light afflictions are nothing compared with glory. Now, when Paul was talking about light afflictions, he was talking about things we might be facing in the near future. Death, persecution, uh, being chased out of town, being thrown into prison, beaten. You know, all the things that Christians around the world still suffer. You know, we in America have been spoiled with non-persecution for Christ. But I think in the same process, it has also weakened the American church because we don't have to pay for our beliefs. We're entering a period of time where believing God's word and believing God may start to cost us something. We need to be ready to say, God, help me stand for you. Because what is the worst thing they can do to us? They can almost kill us. I'm looking forward to the day that somebody wants to kill me. Send me home, send me home, I'm ready. Uh, but, you know, if they, if they beat us, then we have to get healthy again to get beaten again. And Satan has lost, uh, learned a lot of lessons over the years. They are spending more time torturing Christians to try to break Christians. Uh, if you read this story about Richard Warmbrandt, he was beaten so bad and still stayed in prison for so long that there were times when he forgot all, everything he knows about God other than that, he, that there was a God. You know, and that's not an unusual story out there. 
we need to be prepared. We need to set our hearts. We need to get God's word in our hearts so that when the Bible becomes something we can't carry around with us, we have his word. We know his word. We, we've memorized it. We know the stories. We know the, the verses. And it's very important that we get to know God intimately. Because that intimacy with God is what's going to keep us when the world is out to destroy us. It's not going to be too long in the future where we will not be able to meet in a, in a building like this. You know, most of the world can't meet in a church if they're going to worship God. They have to meet in people's houses and they do that secretly in many places. There are places in the world where to have a 15, 20 minute Bible study, it takes three hours to get there and three hours to get away. Because you can't have everybody just showing up at the same time. So the first person comes to church three hours early. And then everybody else trickles in and then you have a short Bible study and everybody goes home. And you don't have lights on, you don't sing, and you don't do all these other things because you can't draw attention to yourself. Will we get that way in America? You know, it's kind of scary. When I look at some of the things going on, it's kind of scary. But you know, God is still in control. We need to trust God no matter what happens and be ready to go forward with him. Lord, we just thank you for this evening. We thank you for how much you love and care for us. Lord, give us the strength to seek you in all that we do and help us to always follow you and look to you for our answers. And we just thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Listening, friends, where will you be when you die? We ask this question of a lot of people oftentimes, and the biggest answer we'll get is, I hope I will be in heaven. If hope is your answer, you don't know God, and this is a problem. We all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. The wages of the sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life. If you do not know for sure that you're going to go into heaven, please, today, make your decision to follow him. It is simply just ask him, Lord, I am a sinner. Please come into my life and save me and make him your Lord. If you've said that prayer, let us know so that we can send you a new believers packet. You can contact us at office at chloridebaptistchurch.com or even pastor at chloridebaptistchurch.com or you can just send us a regular letter at Chloride Baptist Church, P.O. Box 65, Chloride, Arizona, 86431. Thank you very much for listening and have a wonderful day.